This is Link to the Cast, episode 101 from linktothecast.eu, available on all your favourite podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, or Stitcher. I'm your party host, Dave Ryan, and I am joined not by Mark Robinson this week, but by a name that is oft heard whispered around campfires at night. Where is he? Where has he been? It's the RPG Wunderkind that is Brian McNamara. Brian, welcome back to the show. I'm very glad to be here, David. Let me just open by saying the platformers are shit. <laughs> Shots and, fired. And to be a prodigy at one is just, you know, that just makes you a masochist. <laughs> I've watched Mark play have platformers. You, have you seen him play Celeste, which is the one he's playing at the moment? No, I watched him one time play Super Meat Boy, it's, and it just yeah, made me so Celeste, sad. Celeste seems very much like Meat Boy levels. It just, it, it upset me. I was like, why? Why are you hurting yourself? Um, so Brian, you, you had um, a cameo last week on our, our 100th episode, uh, talking some of your, some of your favourite games, and, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, we decided we were going to have you back on in the near future, little we did, know, did we know how soon it would be, uh, schedules conflicted, I was sick this week, which is why this podcast is dropping a day late, and uh, Mark is sort of away on assignment, because uh, he's moving, um, so he's in the middle of trying to organise what stuff gets thrown out and what stuff uh, gets to be kept when he moves. Just as long as he leaves the six counties behind this time. Hey, here we are. Um, so how have you been, buddy? Like, in terms of a proper, like, where we don't have a strict 15-minute, 20-minute time limit to talk, how, how have things been since, like, 80 episodes ago? It's It's been good. Been, yeah. You know, following along. You know, it's been a good time. How's life? It's been good. Um yeah. I, I must point out it was uh, fun to get into my inbox the invite back to the uh, Google Drive doc with the agenda. Yes, the incredibly and, professional Google Drive. Well, I put it like this. It's been that long whereby I opened it. It automatically opened the original from as in from the last time ah. I was in on it. And Google itself put up a notification that in their trademark quirky friendly way said, wow, a lot has changed in this document. <laughs> a lot and has changed, Then it gave friend. me just a snapshot of what it used to be yeah. and they showed it to me now and I was like, you know what, Google, you're right. The, the real jump for me in terms of professionalism on that agenda is that I have everything color coded now. Uh, for whether it's a regular feature or something I need to edit before the week is out just so that I can do a quick glance and see what I need to do before we start a show. Um... But yeah, a lot has changed. Well, we'll hopefully have you back on more often in the future, not be like every 80 episodes. Um, you're not like our treehouse of horror. Um, Haley's Comet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, good, good to have you back. Have you done much this week? Seen anything? Done anything? Saw Black Panther. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, myself and Jack will definitely be talking about this on um, the Popcorn Social, which should drop next week. Our sister podcast talked about movies. But uh, I, I, I'll refrain from, from my thoughts. And give us a, a br- your brief thoughts on uh, Black Panther. Solid. Really yeah. solid. A great entry. in The uh, movie was or you were having watched it. Oh bit of both when you know i'm sure everybody's been all over twitter talking about this but when michael b jordan takes his shirt off good god jeez i mean like it wasn't hugh jackman in days of future past levels michael b but, jordan and i'd be sweating <laughs> but it, it, it was close it was you yeah. know my girlfriend was that we was at the cinema with me and beside me and yeah. this time she took the role of going oh she, really loudly and yeah. upsetting the couple sitting beside she, us she has heard the legend of the time that Hugh Jackman was in a waterbed in uh, Days of Future Past and you shrieked audibly oh yeah yeah shriek, shriek is kind of like 
It's a charitable way of putting the noise you made. It's it's hard to find other words. It was visceral. Yeah, it, it sure was. Came from way low down in my body. Like but uh, low down. solid movie. You enjoyed solid it. Solid movie. Enjoyed it. Good entry. Stronger than a lot of kind of first time entries for mm-hmm. Marvel superheroes. Um, you know, a lot of the strongest debut apart from maybe Guardians and Iron Man. Yeah. Um what is it it's blown past the entirety of Justice League's three month run take that's uh, not you surprising know, really not surprising but at the same time when you stack Batman Superman Wonder Woman Green Lantern oh yeah it should have it, it should have blown everything away yeah and then you got Black Panther who like let's be honest he's a cool character mm-hmm. but he's not you know an A-lister yeah, he's one of those of guys Batman. like like Doctor Strange or Ant Man or Namor, who's a guy who is you, you see him in a lot of Avengers team ups, but he's not a guy that an awful lot of people um, would get the single like the, his solo titles uh, yeah, over like, the years. His uh, his new run, you, you keep talking there. I'll try and find, uh, I have the, his new run here behind me on the shelf. We're recording the, in my room, by the way. The way we always cate- I always kind of categorize him in my head is kind of I'm not sure if he's part of it, but the Marvel Illuminati. You know, uh, Tony, I believe he is. Yeah, yeah. Tony Stark, Black Bolt, uh, Stephen Strange, Charles Xavier, Reed Richards, and I find that that's a great vehicle almost for some of those characters. Like I loathe and despise the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. I, I know mean, you do. It's it's and that's not that's even aside from the awful attempt at films. I just mm. they're marvel. You, you enjoyed that Hickman run that I gave you a loan of, didn't you? Yeah, with the, the trying council, to solve everything, Council of Reeds and yes, all that. Yes. Like, that was cool, you know. So I shat myself when the Council of Ricks showed up in Rick and Morty. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was like I always find kind of like they're they're like the super friends of Marvel. Like it's it's the four babies. Yeah. One I found, and no offense to anybody who loves them, I've never found a, a run that really hooked me in like that. Yeah. But when you take any of those characters on their own, if you take Sue Storm and Civil War and the whole sexual tension with her and Namor, yeah. Like, you know, and, and various things like that. And then Reed Richards is part of that Illuminati, uh, the Secret Wars with the Skrulls and mm. stuff like that. And then similarly with Stephen Strange, who doesn't get a lot of run on his own, yeah. but within the context of the group, a lot more happening and they bounce off each other really well, I think. Yeah, um, the solo run I was trying to think of was uh, the uh, A Nation Under Our Feet Black Panther run. I don't know if you've read it. Tanahisi Coates wrote it. Um it's really good but it's the first solo Black Panther run in living memory where I, I know of a lot of people who are like you need to read this shit mm. it's part of the like Marvel have done a really good job um, that this is Marvel Comics specifically not mm. the Marvel Studios wing but uh, they've done a really good job of making you care about like really small characters like my favourite Marvel run of many many years is Miss Marvel uh, the Squirrel Girl run they've been doing the last couple of years is fantastic. Uh, they did a great She-Hulk run not too long ago. Um, you love the the Hawkeye run, the Matt Fraction, oh, the Matt Hawkeye Fraction. run. I, I, I genuinely, I will, this this can be the hill I will die on yeah. in terms of comic book adaptions. But I mean, people always talk about, what's the point of Jeremy Renner? He doesn't do a whole lot. Now, I don't know if Jeremy Renner would be suited for it, but if you took the Matt Fraction run of Hawkeye and you made a Netflix series of it instead of Iron Fist and just forget Iron Fist ever happens, yeah. it would be perfect for the street level hero just doing his thing, mm. you know, Pizza Dog, Kate Bishop, it's coffee, no. Yeah. Pants, no. Like, I just... It's, it's a great the humor, it's definitely... I think the humor would translate perfectly to television. Yeah. It, it's, it's quippy in a way that isn't beating you over the head with it um, and, and it's dramatic in a way that isn't arch yeah and it it's 
it's kind of it, it wouldn't fit it wouldn't work in a film yeah and the character wouldn't work on screen with other characters because you've mm. always got already got Robert well, Jr. being quippy you've also spent well. the guts of a decade educating an audience that Hawkeye is beat here so yeah. you'd you'd definitely run the risk of no one going to see it exactly you know? yeah so but I mean if you give that the the Marvel Netflix treatment mm. um, like the probably the Jessica Jones Daredevil kind of treatment yeah. I think that would be top of the pile there's real mm. potential in that shall we talk about some video games my friend I suppose that's why we're here playing this week hey check it out I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy 2 Scott you are the salt of the earth oh thanks I meant scum of the earth thanks sir I will give you the office um, as we say in the biz Uh, what have you been playing I know your first one here is going to rock people to the core if they remember you on the show they are going to be I've been speedrunning Super Meat Boy <laughs> in me fucking hole. Uh, no, I've been playing Fallout 4, but on yeah. Xbox One with the mods. Yeah. So. so for people who weren't necessarily following the Fallout thing, so mods are a very popular thing on in PC gaming. Um, it helps really extend the life of a game past what you would normally expect because people can go in, fuck up things. I, most people listening to this have probably seen like the JPEGs of... Um, when people were able to mod Skyrim and turtle all the dragons into Randy Savage. Just and think, Thomas the Tank Engine. Yeah, yeah, like there's stuff like that and then there's the more realistic ones which like try and keep the, the graphics up to date with how powerful PCs are. Um, so there's kind of, you get your silly, you get your cool mods, you get people who kind of really go into the, the weeds and make a substantial change to the there's game there's really like there's a lot of um, quality of life kind of things as mm. well like the people try people do mods to improve, improve the graphics specifically and like there's a serious amount of work in it and it saves companies like Bethesda didn't have to do well, it well the thing is that, that I think what saved Fallout 4 early on on PC was that people were going in before Bethesda were <laughs> to stabilise that game because it was in bits at the start um, but mods um, were advertised as coming to console and it was PS4 first was it I can't remember who was first, but I remember the issues over PS4 were, yeah, we can have them. Actually, no, you can't have them. Okay, you can have some of them. No, you can't have that many of them. Yeah, it was, they announced mods that didn't have any sort of restrictions. And then as time got closer to when Fallout was coming out, there was kind of, "Hmm, you can't have everything. And then it turned out you can't have a lot of it. Mm. Uh, Like what they really seemed to be thinking was more in terms of the creation club, which is Mm. mods that end up being approved and curated. Yeah by the studio uh, before they're put they're, you're letting it and that you have to pay money oh I remember because this was a two-hander as well at the time where they announced that uh, they were going to start charging for mods but not necessarily paying the people who were making them yeah. and uh, they got in a bit of trouble over <laughs> yeah. it but uh, yeah tell me about now so it the mods to a certain extent like you said heavily restricted have come to consoles and what what's that done to your gameplay experience speaking as a man maybe more qualified than anybody who didn't directly make the game to speak on fallout 4 wearing your vault 111 hat as we speak yeah um so what i've kind of found is i deliberately decided because of course i have it on both consoles uh i decided to do it you're sick sick and you know in need of help um and generally what i'd read and heard about you know there being restrictions on what's on the ps4 mod store so i went with the xbox and i went with really just two main ones um and one of them was simply a glorified cheat code mm-hmm. whereby it's it is very cleverly animated in as a holotape that you put into your pip boy 
and you open it up and you can basically spawn whatever you want. So I'm, it's it's like God mode. Back literally, in the day, but yeah. like it's it's very clever. Like you literally you physically you know, you go into your inventory, you say, there it is, it's cheat terminal or whatever it's called, and you do the animation of putting it in and then you open it up and it's within your Pip Boy. Yeah. Like your inventory, and you say spawn so five thousand like, steel. It's not like there. There's a lot of um, things you can do to get that mods, but part of the DLC where it actually requires you to build um, a, a terminal that stays in place. Like the one I'm thinking of in particular that you tipped me off on when I tried Fallout Four again um, was that terminal to locate your companions. The overseer's terminal. But yeah. every time, like I had to go back to and like turn it. off locate like looking for Nick, turn on looking for dog meat. Mm. Um, so that was having to come back every time was a bit troubling, but this is right inside the uh, the pit boy, which is right, and, I think it's, is and it's much handier. It's fun, like they have like there's an exhaustive list of every item in the game, including junk items, but not not so much mm. junk items as you know the resources you gather from. Yeah, so thousand concrete, thousand steel, thousand adhesive, uh, but then equally Elder Maxon's blast coat, um, mm. leather left leather arm guard. You know, and just unbelievably specific. Literally every individual item you could want spawn in, and then the other one I have is to allow you to kind of break some of the restrictions on the game. Mm-hmm. So, in terms of the what the one bugbear I really have, and I just wish that they would fucking put it in as a patch, is the restrictions on. I'm not going to use the word modding again, even though it's the word used in the game, but augmenting or adapting your gear and weapons Mm. so anybody who's even remotely into this game at all as much as i am will really really hate the fact that your unique clothing items for a start you can't alter them in any way they have to stay as their kind of generic basic you you can't mess around with them at all so we've talked about this before kellogg's outfit how pimping is kellogg's outfit so good it's the it's the outfit that i I still use in the the later game and that and his pistol as well i've never gotten rid of because it's cool looking pistol it's damn cool and uh the relentless uh legendary effect on his brand yeah um but yeah i like i'm at the point in my primary save my ps4 where um my stats are that strong that i don't need to wear strong armor anymore so i can just put it on and it's it's no bother but like within the logic of the game I can see why okay ballistic weave is how you improve the armor and defense qualities of most clothing items and it comes from the railroad you have to line up with them to get it so I can understand why you say for instance you can't use it on your vault suit mm-hmm. because that's basically space age technology yeah. to you know some dudes grubbing around in the basement of a of a church yeah there's some things it makes logical sense that you can't do certain things to them because it would it just in the it, by the it, internal it, logic it of the world the logic. yeah yeah a little bit and i know that sounds intensely nerdy and people can yeah. give a shit about RPG but like, it's called so. role-playing game yeah do you know what i mean the idea is don't break the suspension of disbelief yeah. but then equally by that logic kellogg's outfit is you know from this era it's not pre this it's not faction aligned like the brotherhood gear why can't you ballistic weave it mm. you know like where's the the benefit here and not and where's the benefit of the logic and not being able to so with this mod you can do that and you can put legendary effects on anything so you can pick up a pipe pistol take it over to the uh, crafting station and mod it to set people on fire and you know have never ending ammo you know that kind of way you can yeah. use the existing kind of 
legendary effects and upgrades and things that are within the game and just put them on anything now i know you, i think you can technically break it a little bit with this where you can take a pistol and put a minigun barrel on it which will break the graphics and break the game and to me okay if you want to do that for giggles go nuts to me i've, I've no interest in that i just want those little tweaks that would just make it just perfect for me so being able to ballistic weave Kellogg's outfit yeah. So it's strong enough to run around in, you know, or um, Preston's gear. Yeah. Preston's pimp-ass hat and big, long coat with the bandolier. Only good thing about Preston. Only good thing about Preston. God, I hate Preston. Um, you know, and put some ballistic weave mods on that, put some legendary effects on that, and suddenly, you know, you're a walking tank. Yeah, it breaks the game a bit if you're looking for the challenge. You know, you're not going to, you know, I'm not the type of gamer who is going to play survive survival mode. Mm-hmm. on fallout but i am going to sink hours into with relative ease now pimped around the landscape building fantastic settlements and just enjoying the game in kind of like a minecraft create mode kind of way yeah you know and just it's a new kind of it's another kind of facet of the game that i love a world i love you know and the gameplay style and mechanisms that i really enjoy and it's mm-hmm. just another way to kind of expand on it and yeah, the Minecraft free play mode. Yeah, to create and enjoy. Um, we got time for your your other game here. You've started replaying another game from the past. Yes. Um, this one's going to upset you as much as how much I like <laughs> to play Fallout and the Division. Like, so I picked up Tomb Raider: The Definitive Edition some time back for eleven yeah. eleven quid on sale. To, to clarify for everybody, this is the Crystal Dynamics one from a few years ago. A few years ago. The the precursor the the reboot of the franchise and precursor to the big rise of the tomb raider yeah yeah and presumably the loose basis for the alicia vikander tomb raider movie it's more than a loose basis it looks she looks exactly like her but i even like some of the stills i've seen from it are very like they they're just it's the same and you know what fine (laughs) yeah well look it it, it worked like that's a really good game Mm -hmm. so i picked it up for dirt cheap gave it a go loved it yeah then Part of why I got an Xbox One was I wanted to be able to play Rise of the Tomb Raider ahead of before I came out on PS4. So that's what I did. I got an Xbox One and along with other games like Gears of More, I picked up Rise of the Tomb Raider, played it, loved it. Yeah. And that was a while back. That was shortly after it came out and I played Definitive Collection ahead of that. Mm-hmm. So there, the end of last week, I said, you know what? How much is the Definitive Collection on Xbox Store? <laughs> so it was cheap. So I picked it up. I feel like I, that was a Games with Gold at some point. Possibly before me. It, uh, it might have been when Rise of the Tomb Raider came to PS4 just to go, well, here's the first one for free on ours. <laughs> anyway. but uh, So yeah, I picked it up then on the Xbox. Played it through. Enjoyed it. Enjoyed it as much as I'd enjoyed it the first time around. And I'd left enough time to really not remember everything exactly and enjoy the same bits I enjoyed. Yeah. And when I finished that, I said... I wonder how much Rise of the Tomb Raider is in the PS4 store. He's <laughs> a sick man. Sick and twisted man. Um, and so have you started that yet? Oh, I've finished it. Oh. I'd be very interested to see, because I have a PS4 Pro, how good Rise of the Tomb Raider looks on PS4 Pro, because it looked astonishing on my vanilla Xbox One. Well, man, i put it like this. I came in here while you were playing Bioshock Infinite, and I couldn't believe the detailing on the back end of the machine gun. I was like, yeah. I don't remember that gun being gold. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. why is it 
Spartan. There's there's I'm, a patina. I'm, I'm very excited. One of the things I'm treating myself to uh, when when you're moved out and I'm building an, an office in what is right. now currently your room. But it's like the thing I'm treating myself to. I'm getting a 4K TV for myself, probably. If I can get one at a not extortionate price. I'd say if you give it six to eight months, they'll probably they'll oh, continue. They've started. I've been, they'll continue I, dropping price. I've been, I've been keeping an eye on them since Christmas. You're like, how long did I wait to get a proper 40-inch mm. Samsung? Like, and was quite reasonably priced by the time I mm. bought it um yeah I, I've been playing uh, a couple of bits and all mine are kind of old games as well it's almost like the, the, the gods knew that you were coming back on so they're all kind of like from a couple of years ago uh, but I won't spend too long on any of them uh, the first is Axiom Verge which uh I think when that game came out, you were probably still on the yeah, reg on the Yeah, I remember you podcast. freaking out over the music. You're like, oh my God, Brian, the music! Yeah, so like, Axiom Verge is, like, for, for those of you who don't know, it's um, it's it's a Metroid game, is basically what it is. It's designed by one guy, um, came out a couple of years ago on PlayStation consoles, uh, and has now come to Switch. But I, the reason I got it on Switch, one, because it falls right into that category of games that would be pretty sweet on a Switch to be able to carry around with you or pop into the TV depending on what you're doing but uh, I found the what's called the Multiverse Edition which is a special edition of it um, that it I, looks very sexy yeah it's this cool kind of like black box in it you get the physical copy of the game and I love when a special edition of a game and I didn't think I'd ever have to say it when a special edition of a game actually has a physical copy of the game and not just a download code boom boom so I do have a physical copy of Axiom Verge on Switch as part of it but you also get um, soundtrack CD which is Whopper for me because again love that soundtrack it is pretty good um, there is a DVD in it that's a documentary on how this one guy made this game over I think like five years or something um, and talking about how like a lot of the proceeds from the game are going to his son his son has some some uh, very rare disease or something like that and even the guys who ported the some studio came in and ported Axiom Verge to the Switch for him and like I think there's some percentage of the money that they are making off the game that they're donating right back to um, the kid which is pretty classy um but yeah it's a long stretch away from that uh, one DLC character in Shadow of War <laughs> yeah, from that where they tried to make money off a guy who died yeah yeah good times um but yeah it's like it's the same game it looks great on switch it's cool to have on a little portable console in front of me uh, i will say like if you already have it on vita or something like that there's no real need to get it on switch because you already have it portable like the main appeal of the game if you're just getting the vanilla edition as opposed to the multiverse edition uh, the only real appeal is being able to carry it with you everywhere um but works perfectly it's not exactly a technically complex game so i wasn't expecting it to be kind of spazzing out uh during the early phase of being ported um but yeah that's that's a really good game i continue to make progress in night in the woods which i also bought on switch because looks like it'd be great on switch and it is um even though i bought in a sale right before i went on holidays because i I don't think i yeah i haven't we haven't done a podcast since i went on holidays because when i was on holidays was episode 100 Uh, and i was away for pol uh, in poland for a week and i had bought this was 30% off in the Euro store. I had bought Mario Cross Rabbids Kingdom Battle um, under the um, kind of auspices of, all oh, right, this is my holiday game. I'll usually buy a small game or a game that's on sale on a portable console to bring with me on a holiday. So I have something to kind of be playing at night. And uh, spent the whole week just playing Night of the Woods. <laughs> didn't, didn't fuck. I still have not booted up Mario Cross Rabbids because. 
Um, it, it's not um, a Mark Robinson game by any stretch of the imagination, by which I mean it's very low on actual physical things you do game-wise and very high on kind of writing and characterization and things like that. Um, but incredibly well written. There's um, great kind of... Uh, but Mark keeps coming in about how well the her parents, Maybrowski's parents, are written in the game, because it is very realistic. Um, fuck up, depressed teenage daughter talking with her parents' conversation. It's very well scripted. Is it, is it kind of because like I hadn't heard of this before? Like I've I've seen you play Axiom Verge, and mm. I hadn't seen you play this, and hadn't heard of it. Is it kind of you're describing something to me that sounds very like Firewatch almost um, in a sense it's, it, it's that kind of like it, if you think about the opening sequence of Firewatch where you have that whole kind of almost text based this is your life uh, segment at a time as it's you and your missus and yeah, the dog yeah. and it's, the dementia and yeah, you start crying it's, and crying and yeah visually it's it's massively different but in terms of like what it is in terms of um like they call them walking simulators but it is kind of that there are some stuff where you can like jump up on different things and have different conversations with people if you get to hard to reach areas but the the vast majority of it is uh, i've seen yeah that that kind of thing but it's it's side scrolling it's Mm. two-dimensional and it's kind of uh nicely that this it's cartoon animals all your characters even though they're played off like 100 percent realistic human beings they're all animals so you're a cat your parents are cats but your friend is like a gay fox in a leather jacket and his boyfriend who like is a bear with a bowler hat and then so it's like one of Abed's weird specials in community yeah, where yeah. everybody is a cabbage patch doll or yeah it's it's a it, yeah, yeah. It, it's kind of like that but like there's there's also as well as uh, I was going to say it's not just the the parents are really well written um, like your friends who you kind of went to college and the vibe when you come back to the town because there's only hints as to what may have happened to cause you to drop out of college that you're back in town in Possum Springs um, so I don't want to speculate because I'm not there yet and people obviously haven't played it um, but the kind of vibe you get returning to town is that people assume they'd never see you again once you left for college so because May kind of up sticks and left and people are super kind of like passive aggressive about the fact that like uh, one she left them all and they were kind of just there without oh, their friends. you're too good for this yeah. town. And then also, like, a certain element of it is there are people in that town because it's a very kind of, like, uh, lower middle class, working class town where, you know, she had this wonderful opportunity to go away to a proper college, which not a lot of people in that town seem to have gotten. And she has thrown it away and dropped out for reasons, again, that are it's not revealed like yet. like my life, to be honest. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's it's, not a it, it's incredibly well written. I think I'm maybe at the, the halfway point now. I think the central mystery of the game has presented itself now, um, and is kind of it's done day by day. Um, like you have a daily, uh, sort of a daily routine, like where you, you wake up, you go talk to your parents, you leave, you do the the um, the tasks for the day, and then you come back, go to bed. Next day starts. That's the way it's told. And would you say, David, that it's all coming together? Because you're dressed like a cat. Moving on. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, Did we just take it's two steps, one step forward, and then take two no, steps back. No, I'm just, I'm just breezing right past that. Um, yeah, it's it's one of the Meow. best. It's one of the best written games I've played in a long, long time, and it is right up in the kind of like I don't know if it's my still my my peak of that genre is everybody's gone to the rapture. I don't know if it's there for me yet, but it's certainly. 
um fantastic a very 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 good game and the other thing i'm playing is bioshock infinite which i'm trying to get my second platinum on um, and i'm the sick man yeah well like we two summers ago um you were kind of the, the liz to my booker and you sat there kind of spying stuff that Dave i should I'll be doing. always be the liz to your booker yeah and i got the platinum on the ps3 version and now when the ps4 version came out the bioshock collection came out i noticed very quickly that the trophies didn't stack so i could get a second platinum if i wanted and obviously it's one of my favorite games of all time um so a nice excuse to replay it i've already replayed it once so i got the normal mode clear and i've got most like i think i've got 72 percent of the trophies or something like that you realize that i'm going to stand up at your wedding and say david catch and like <laughs> yeah. throw the ring at you or something that, that's fine that's yeah that's absolutely fine um score but yeah there's and there's like uh, i was just showing you when you came in here before you record there's like even on this playthrough which is like number five or six maybe even seven i've done since 2013 when it came out and um, there's still stuff i'm noticing like you noticed that on the ps4 pro version um even the particle effects or the detail on the the back ear gun is is impressively upgraded relative to the ps3 version yeah um, I, I i want this on the record now you can no longer make fun of me for i bet my six or seven playthroughs don't even come close to how much you've put into the division let alone but okay alone yeah, so that's fallout you know we're splitting it hairs might not here. even be half we're splitting hairs here we're, we're talking about just a question of how advanced the disease is you know i mean i, I yeah i'll accept I i'm I, i'll accept i'm terminal but you know uh i i, I can still be saved I'm, I'm sure of it but uh even walking into so i'm walking into the good time club in finkton at the moment and i just pointed out to you that i'd never noticed a sign where you're being lured in there and the the kind of the marquee above it says that it's the booker dewitt audition happening today so it's little things oh you should be a shoe in there one of the things i actually wanted to the main reason it's in here and then we'll move straight on to the news um there's a thing i want to write about and i've seen a couple of people talk about it before and one thing that's underrated in game design is the use of things like elevators um, elevators are similar confined spaces where kind of not the control of the camera but the control of what you can do is taken away from you for a minute and some narrative is given to you so there's a lot of elevators in bioshock infinite where you're just stood there looking out a pane of glass for like 30 45 seconds hmm. um so there's like uh when you are on the way to the first lady there is the um there's the little lift remember there's the there's some of comstock's men are bowing down to him in there and he comes up on a big kind of oval screen and he starts talking to about how he knows you booker dewitt and it's like they called you the white indian a wounded knee and so almost a cutscene that's not a cutscene yeah yeah um as opposed to what i'm thinking of my experience of elevators in games like the division and fallout where yeah. they're just for transitioning between well, this is loading ex- instead of a loading exactly screen. like the, the the ones that are used badly are, are ones that are just kind of oh we need to load we have no idea what to do with this segment so we're just going to have you run up a stairs for ages or stay in an elevator for ages um some simple stuff that's uh, like i remember back in the day there's a great use of a single ladder in um snake eater where you crawl up this like preposterously long ladder as the snake eater theme plays and it gets you real jazzed up and just something as simple as that was a good use of that kind of a a, a, a thing you have to do in in games sometimes but yeah so an important story beat happens every single time you're in an elevator in this game so there's no point at which 
in other games like you said the division or something like that you would be inclined to be like this is that's when your your attention or enthusiasm starts to lapse it's like oh i'm gonna have to fucking sit through this and just wait um but in this you're always well maybe not so much on the seventh time but you're always clued in like i was thinking about it as well on the way down to finkton where jeremiah fink pops up in a window there's a bit where like he's talking uh, there's a voiceover and you're seeing like you're going through the levels and you're seeing like the workers in Finkton get up and the living conditions they're in as he's talking about the workers and then like the elevator jams the phone rings and the secretary saying uh, hold for Mr. Fink please and he has a discussion with you on the phone there's um one of the first I think it's the second time you see Songbird actually in the game uh, is when you're on your way down into the Hall of Heroes and there's like a bee stuck in the lift with you and Elizabeth opens a tear to let the bee free. The bee flies out a window and all of a sudden you see through the clouds Songbird's eyes and he flies right up towards the window and she just closes the tear on time. So uh, I, I think one of the underrated things about Bioshock uh, from that perspective is the use of elevators. So any anytime anyone is playing that in the future, have a look and just see what they do with those, not necessarily strictly elevators, but that kind of where you're, that you have to get from one place to the other and they have to try and do a bit of um, that trans- cloak and dagger while transition. they're, yeah, while they're loading something in the background or while they're giving you space to breathe before the next big action beat. Uh, let's talk about the news. News on the mark. In the news this week, uh, we've got some video game movie news as Sonic the Hedgehog movie uh, gets a release date. Uh, the 15th of November 2019. Um, Did that not already get announced as delayed or was that the delayed date or am I thinking of the Mario movie? I think you're thinking of the Mario movie because they, they, I think there was a couple of weeks ago there was an announcement about the Mario movie is somewhere, it's been greenlit now. Um, the Sonic thing... I wasn't necessarily interested in it because I was like, right, generally, apart from Sonic Mania last year, which was an interesting uh, and cool return to the Mega Drive, the original three Sonic games, I don't really care about Sonic lore. I know a surprising amount about it from reading Sonic the comic when I was a kid, but I don't really care about Sonic. I vaguely remember the cartoon. Yeah. Chili dogs, man. You see, the cartoon was fun when you were that age in the 90s because it was very much a product of the 90s. Like, you would say man and chili cheese dogs and stuff like that um but i, I had to wait I, about I 20 years to finally have one and when i finally did it was garbage because yeah. it was just a hot dog covered in there, sweet chili dipping sauce there was um the one thing i have been aware of the whole time is even though we've had like a decade and a half of really bad sonic games <laughs> since the first or maybe two decades now since the original three um there still is like there's an audience somewhere that's quietly buying all these games you know like they're not all selling like gangbusters but there's obviously enough being sold that they keep making the bad ones you know david they keep making fantastic four well, movies well here's the thing you know sega don't have the money that fox do yeah <laughs> and they don't have to keep making them to, stay, to keep the rights true like, um, i just I, like the thing about sonic, and they've only made three of those as opposed to like if you were to look at the list of games that have come out since the mid 90s for sonic you would you'd have apoplexy true like i just the thing for sonic for me is that and again remember like we talked about on the 100th episode of my engagement with consoles and that like like looking back like i do recall like the old school side scrolling sonic games from back in the day and i could see how engaging and well that style of a game fit that medium mm-hmm. of gameplay 
and I just I don't see the point in trying to shoehorn and crowbar it into any kind of 3D landscape. I mean, yeah. you know, I think there's a case to be made for to do, and okay, it's probably not the best example, but to do a Mighty Number no. 9 on it. Mm. Uh, like, I know that ended up being... Maybe, like maybe, maybe what you want is maybe Mega Man X is the way to go. Like, yeah. not completely reinvent the wheel, but kind of update Just it. Bring bring back, because, I mean, you're talking about, like, you know, people are somewhere buying these, and in my heart, I'm thinking... Those are poor damaged souls who just they love those original games so much, there, and they just they just want you know maybe I'll get ten minutes out of there's, this. There's probably some element of that, but I think also there's kids who just like kids don't really discern good and bad games well, kids are at idiots. that age. You know, that's the thing. But like there are popular Sonic cartoons and stuff that have been on in recent years, so I imagine that's definitely part of it. Yeah, I think but I think that's the you know here's some money go see a Star here's, Wars. Here's the reason I I bring it up. Two reasons. Because, one, the movie is going to be the always winning combination of CGI and live action for <laughs> cartoonish characters. Like, Will the really... pop filter filter out my whimpers? Yeah, I hope so. Um, I, I don't foresee characters looking like that looking great next to actual real life people. Is Adam Sandler going to be in I, this? I, I could be wrong. Um, but the other thing is, this is, this is very, very strange. Um... The executive producer is Tim Miller, who directed Deadpool. And like, why? Because he walked off Deadpool too. Yeah. Um. Or the the, the details on that still haven't Remain really come out yet. Walk, he, yeah. Did he fall or was he pushed? Yeah. Um. But he's not on Deadpool too. And this is where he's shown up now, executive producing the Sonic movie. Now, dude's probably got bills. <laughs> I put it this way: we have yet to have a proper winning video game movie that's a straight adaptation of a video game. The closest thing we've had are ones that uh, like adapt uh, an amalgam of video game kind of tropes and culture and some characters, like Wreck-It Ralph, or ones that are basically a video game film without any recognized characters, just nods. Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Um, I. Gonna gonna put my hat out here and just say this is not going to be the one that no, uh, it's not <laughs> that finally put, makes it. I put it this this isn't the Iron Man of uh, dude like video game movies. I'll put it this. There hasn't been nothing said about it in a while since they announced that Jake Gyllenhaal was going to be in the Division movie. Yeah, and I mean like I don't have high hopes for that film. You know yeah. what I might have had high hopes for? What the Gore, Gore Verbinski Bioshock movie? Yeah, that we'll yeah. never get to see. Mm. I, 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 I really just wish that somebody would come back to Gore Verbinski, call him up, and say, "Listen, Gore, it's been proved now that R rated movie." Call man, Gore. Yes, it's Colin Gore. It's his name. Yeah. It's, what are you going to call him? I verb sup. <laughs> um, v dog. V dog. Um, you know the reason Johnny Depp is still being foisted upon us. Um, call him up and say listen it's been proved now R-rated big budget movie or medium to big budget movies can work we did it with Logan we did it with Deadpool 2 everyone wants a piece now how would you blow the dust off those comical unrealistic metal film uh, projection film canisters that have the sticker that says Bioshock my movie on it and come back to the studio and do this my, my problem with the Bioshock thing is that I'd love to see Bioshock on screen but uh, how the na- well the narrative problems with the first Bioshock yeah. game are not going to be made better by being on screen because one of two things is going to happen either you keep the story completely intact in which case the last third of the film will be an absolute absolute shit show mm. um, because you can't really do fetch quests in a film no. um, or 
substantial rewrites happen to change around when things happen, which is something that I, as a mild critic of the narrative in the original Bioshock, would accept. But the people that they're trying to sell the movie to will be mad about. Or we have option three, which is, I agree, I, I'm going to admit, probably the outsider, but they gave Ken Levine a shitload huh. of money. Yeah, no, I not. And he comes up with That's another connection talk. that somehow, you know, that, you know, we twisted around here when we got Burial at Sea, which, I mean, I love Bioshock. I love Bioshock Infinite. Burial at Sea... I mean, I'm not. I don't. I. I don't even want to care to talk about gameplay or graphics or whatever. The story of Burial at Sea, Part One and Two. I'm genuinely shook. I. I think. I don't know. I think I started bleeding internally. Yeah. Um, that I got playing I got chess. We're all playing checkers. I mean, you know, some of my hair went white and the rest <laughs> fell out. Um, you know, I, I got a nosebleed. You know, I don't know. Like Ken Levine comes back and somehow you know connects it back to considering that just making the Bioshock Infinite game nearly fucking killed him and yeah, made him want to yeah, stop doing big I, games forever I want him to see, to see him do something crazy whereby it turns out that you know Booker DeWitt is the missing link in the Commander Keen BJ Blazkowicz <laughs> Doom Marine genealogy family tree like I mean I want something insane like that I want to I want to sit there in it like I mean I don't know how if I knew how I'd be you know on the phone to various movie studios but I mean I would pay top dollar to go into the cinema and have my brain fucked with <laughs> the way it was when I played those games for the first time. Twisting your melon. Uh, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, which is the, I think the absolute sensation of 2017, um, is getting its third map within the next few months before the start of the awesome? Rocket League being the the breakout low budget sensation because I just you know me and online multiplaying shooting yeah, games I, I know it doesn't appeal to you but it is undeniably oh, a, a cultural phenomenon even though they made a clone even though and tried to pip it at a, the post. a key difference that I will I will cite to you between Rocket League as a phenomenon and PUBG as a phenomenon is um, at least Rocket League fundamentally worked on a mechanical <laughs> level where like PUBG is is very well known for its jank how's Fortnite doing? Fortnite is doing phenomenally well. Fortnite is doing so well that Epic have stopped doing other games. <laughs> That's how well it's doing. Isn't there a lawsuit or something? Or wasn't there going to be? Or there's Because it is a blatant. But but then the thing is, the mode in of itself, like there's definitely some kind of grey areas about how the actual mode was designed as an Arma 2 mod. So does that mean that they actually own the IP rights considering that the concept came out of them modding a pre-existing game? There's a lot of kind of stuff I'm not, I'm not really good. It's but, real real boring stuff I don't we're not in want a, to get we're into. We're not in a scenario here where it's, um, and context aside, but in terms of not so much cause but effect, that uh, we're in an Overwatch Battleborn scenario where one is dying on its ass. We're we're not. No, we're not no, they're, they're both doing gangbusters. Um, and like a part of that is down to PUBG had it on PC first. It's the it's the biggest Steam game in history. Um, most concurrent users. Oh, that's a lot higher, Dave. Most most concurrent users ever on Steam. Um, but Fortnite Battle Royale mode made it to consoles first, mm. so that I think that's that that's helped a lot. And the fact that the the only existing console version of uh, PUBG Xbox One um, is problematic, apparently mechanically, even for PUBG. But uh, one of the things that I always uh, really admired about it, apart from the fact that it was designed by a man that li- that is from roughly here, <laughs> and I think 
having done some sleuth work, may have gone to a school I taught in, uh, which is mad. But um, is how for pretty much the entire calendar year of 2017, this was such a phenomenal success and I had one map. <laughs> because the entire game is built, like it's not built on environment, like it's not built on the environments being the thing that drag in or story. It's built on the emergent gameplay of having a hundred different people every time. Mm. And the, the way the map... space. Yeah, the shrinking space and the kind of like, it varies where your plane comes in to drop you off. So you you can't necessarily land in the same spot every time. The gear drops are randomized. So you can't go, okay, well, here's the level two armor is in this house. It won't always be there. It might be, there might be something else there might be that thing or there might be nothing so um and i'll tell you what i don't i've gone past the point for a while i was really curious and wanted to play PUBG a lot yeah i was very briefly like that but what i what i will say is it's a hell of a lot of fun to watch um it it really like it really is like watching watching giant a giant bomb play it all last year was absolutely fantastic but yeah by the end of the summer uh they will be um, launching a third map and part of the delay they said in announcing this uh, in why it's taken so long to get the third map because the the second map only dropped at Christmas to coincide with the launch on console but uh, the the reason that it was delayed is because Bluehole who are the studio that are porting it to consoles um, and producing it for for PC as well they um they have spent most of their resources and time over the last few months banning cheaters because people have been like stream sniping you know what stream sniping is nope where you are playing in a game of PUBG with somebody and you hop on Twitch and go to their stream that they're streaming so you can see where they are so you can kill them oh. while they're camping. Let me adjust the mic so here and repoint it so you can hear me forcibly put down this can of coke <laughs> and just look, sit back, look, narrow look. my eyes, and fold my arms and ask, "What the actual?" F-? I mean, like not not on a kind of a moral kind of level, like how how yeah. dare they screen yeah. watch? You know, girl, did they you know never learn the rules with playing you know whatever with their brother? But yeah. I mean, come on, man! I mean, how? Had, yeah. yeah. And, I well, mean, and I say that as a man who has sunk obscene amount well, of hours into games where I see, don't interact with anybody. Well, the thing is, like, there's there's a sort of financial incentive in it, in as much as like the the when you grind and get like loot boxes and stuff like that in the game, based on your kind of successes in the game, you can sell unopened loot boxes on their auction system. Apparently, the economy for that is all over the fucking place, but that's what people are doing. Um, apparently, in January. Uh, alone they banned a million accounts so they have been pretty busy but you can look forward to there's no real details yet about so the first one was just this island uh this kind of like vaguely I've, soviet I've seen, island I've, I've seen from the streams the, yeah the second one was a desert map um i haven't seen a lot of streams coming from that um, I, i'm gonna call it now it's going to be a factory i was gonna say uh, a, a winter terrain or something like that um but a factory like an industrial space yeah. probably uh, a good shout out as well or an underwater level games with gold for um the I middle of march this. the middle yeah, of april i've heard has you and mark talk about and yeah the there are three games in here where you're just like mm-hmm. and then one game where you're like oh, oh, oh that's the one i think uh-huh um so we got quantum conundrum and the game version of disney's brave which are your xbox 360 backwards compatible games for the month yeah, which... they're always garbage not always, not always, um, because... They are often garbage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, and then your two Xbox One games for the month are Trials of the Blood Dragon, which is terrible. Um, it's a Trials game where, you know, it's like the stunt bike thing. Yeah, I know. I, uh, I put And, it like, in... the trailer was the most obnoxious thing on a very obnoxious Ubisoft press conference that year. It wasn't, like... It doesn't where, it... remember, they were in, like, t- wasn't, they were in tiger print tracksuit bottoms and, and stuff Does like it draw that. from at all um, Far Cry Blood Dragon? Hmm? Does it draw from at all Far Cry Aesthetically, Blood Dragon? Aesthetically, that's it. Because there's no story, like it's just trials tracks, but it's got some. Because I really felt that was, I was worried that that they drew more from it, and it was a squandered uh, use no, of no. one of the it's, best things it's, Ubisoft it's pretty, ever it's done. It's pretty much just the use of the phrase "blood dragon." Did is... you did you play Far Cry? No, blood I've dragon? watched you play it um, when you moved here. Um, Remember, you can use the weapon wheel to change weapons. This is a metaphorical <laughs> wheel as opposed to a real one. Um, the headliner uh, for the month is super hot. Which is one of the, like, I had said it many times that, like, how do you reinvent the wheel in a post-modern warfare world with regards first-person shooters? And Superhot does it. It's the most innovative first-person shooter I've seen in years and years and years where time only moves when you move. And I love the minimalist aesthetic. Um, It's like if Mirror's Edge was good in terms of, like, that kind of clean white aesthetic with kind of some bold colours in it. Um, the fact that all the figures that are hunting here are made of glass, the things you can do, like throw your weapon and... So you're and, saying pick it up? Yeah. If you have games with gold, this is an absolute like open goal because you can get this for free from March 16th to April 15th. Well, only, you know, guys with disposable income like me can afford games with gold. <laughs> or, hey, wait a or guys like me. I'm a guy like me. <laughs> or guys like me who forget that they have games with gold this entire time. Oh yeah, I, I often, I, I usually remember my PS Plus games, but I yeah. rarely remember I always my remember my gold. PS Plus one because that PS Plus subscription is right before Christmas and just when I don't want it, boom, 60 euro gone. <laughs> um, yeah, but grab super hot when it comes out. It's, it's, I think it finished like third or fourth in our game of the year list when it came out. So definitely check that one out. Uh, here's one for the Robinsons of the world and I think one that uh, you should see, you see, you don't own a Switch, uh, Brian, but the amount of content that is just getting dropped on Switch like every single week is outrageous. I'll wait till it's all on sale or cheap but, or something like that. But you know what I mean? Like the, the one of the popular criticisms of Nintendo in generations past is like, oh, there's no... There's, there's a Zelda game, there's yeah. a Metroid game, there's a Mario Kart yeah, game, and, and there's and a Mario game. There is all that, but what they've done this time is they figured out a way to have... These are the tentpole releases. Our first party properties will come out four times a year or whatever. But in between, there is just a constant stream of either ports of games from the past where you're like, oh, cool. Like Skyrim. Skyrim. Bayonetta 1 and 2 dropped last week, although apparently the sales of that aren't going fantastically so far. Doom. Doom, uh, which works way better than it has any cause to... <laughs> we'll be talking about Doom in a bit. Um, Stardew Valley. Uh, like, they have loads of different indies. They call that curation system the Nindies. See what they've done there. Um, but there's like like Mark pointed out there's like there's rarely a week where like you won't have like a dozen games drop <laughs> like that's how much is going on there so there's always something well, I mean, and there are all sorts learn. of wild different like all sorts of different genres like I, I said to you before we started here you're a real time strategy guy as we'll talk about later and Wargroove is coming at some point this year which is uh, I don't know about that name <laughs> oh, man I like it it's funky 
Um, but anyway, in May, we're going to get uh, Mega Man Legacy Collections 1 and 2, both installments uh, coming on May 22nd. The original Mega Man Legacy Collection includes the first six NES-era Mega Man games, plus concept art and production art gallery. Some of the concept art for Mega Man bosses is hysterically funny i urge you to check some of them out um one of them looks like wesley bottom tooth from family guy which is a strange reference uh it's also possible to access uh 11 additional fan-made challenges previously exclusive to the 3ds version which is pretty cool uh mega man legacy collection 2 meanwhile features mega man's 7 to 10 uh, it also includes all previous released dlc from mega man 9 and 10 so that's that's for on the 22nd for um there will be a physical edition where both of them yeah where both of them will be bundled in for $40 and you can get both of them separately on the store digitally for a little bit less so you're talking 10 really difficult really beloved games for this $40 or less this is the legacy collection that was out on consoles PS4, yeah, a while back yeah, yeah, on yeah. PS4 yeah and they did a really good job of restoring that and again it's one of those things you where, were very pleased with that I recall yeah, yeah it was it was a very 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 good recreation of it um so yeah that's that's pretty cool again another big one dropping in may we've got i think donkey kong tropical freeze and maybe the new yoshi game as well dropping in may so that's that's a pretty busy month like i probably won't get legacy collection again Uh, i already have it on ps4 and i don't hate myself enough to have that on a console i can bring with me um but it's it's, again it's a thing where even if i don't like the type of game it's cool that that sort of range is there for people it's it's nice to see nintendo listening to kind of the feedback finally yeah. uh, people said like you know there aren't enough games and nobody yeah. likes Wii Sport yeah so like I well no everybody likes Wii Sport man. <laughs> you're definitely the outlier on that um but yeah it, it's cool because like I have a box with Wii U games in it and pretty much the Wii U games I have in that box are the only games on the Wii U definitely worth getting that you can't just get somewhere else that's a small box of games it's, it's not like it's a shoe box yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean and so they were good games like yeah. they were like. here's a blast from the past talking about games you and I played I uh, saw it Soma yeah. And um, I opened up the link and I read the article and I had a terrifying nightmare flashback to exactly the thing. <laughs> I'll, let, I'll, let about. You, I'll let you discuss it. Then. So, what are your what are your kind of um, loose memories of Soma from when we played it? Yeah, darkness, fear, confusion. There was a lot of because we sat together and we played yeah. played through a bit of the start and it was. We very... did a thing where we traded off between each other for chapters. I think kind of like we did for. Was the slasher game Dying Light or no, no not Dying? Um, oh, the one with the really... until dawn. There we go. I knew there was a D in there. Yeah. E. But uh, yeah, so it, it was kind of like Neon Bioshock. Yeah, it, but like it, but neon, neon darkness. Yeah, like maybe Neon System Shock underwater neon sepia <laughs> you know? filtered yeah like it was the visuals were really cool the mur- music so was really murky. cool was so atmospheric yeah. Um, I, I did like it upset and confused but immersed me that yeah. I had no fucking idea wh- wh- where are we going what do we do how yeah. are we doing things are we supposed to do this like the simplest puzzles because there was nothing yeah. there was nothing that there was no there was hand hold. holding yeah. there was no guide path there was nothing there was we want one... you to see everything there was you know, that's, that's one thing about horror games like if there's too much going on on the hood like there's a genuine risk that you'll be looking at your health bar or looking at your inventory and you'll miss the scare yeah. do you know what I mean having nothing and you you're en- focused you end up in the um, Dead Space scenario where like oh let me do the thing from Dead Space 2 where I turn around put my hand out and show up the sparkly line that shows me where to go yeah um, 
Oh, I almost forgot the best memory of Soma. Go on. Poking the things. Oh poking, yeah, the buttholes. Poking the buttholes, yeah. yeah. It was like these butthole things. And, and the like mo- every time you poked it, more of your hand went in. Yeah, until you were fisting the like yeah. the, the, the... We had a podcast about fisting the buttholes in yeah. Soma. I remember that. <laughs> um, but developer Frictional Games has released an update and I think this is really cool. Uh, mm. Some people don't like this kind of thing in games, but I'm very much a fan of it. I think as I... many different accessible modes as you can get, because I don't think you need to necessarily punish people Depends this on the type game. of game. Yeah. Depends on the game. Like, I don't want, say, a Super Meat Boy to have a mode like this where you can just coast or because that's not the point. <laughs> or um, Dark Souls. Dark yeah, Souls yeah, doesn't yeah. need a mode like this. But games like this where it's like, it's, people it's, are here for the story the, the experience. experience they're not here for a challenge necessarily so developer fictional games has released an update for the ps4 version of soma it's superb underwater horror adventure adding a safe mode option that arrived on xbox one and pc at the end of last year safe mode is designed for those that find soma's stealth sections either too tough or too overwhelming uh, once the optional mode is engaged the game's monster will merely react to your presence inquisitively rather than try to attack you on sight as Friction will explain on its blog, with the new mode, uh, when the new mode was released last year, monsters might sound and act more threatening if they spot you. So there is still an incentive to being careful, but it's no longer mandatory to keep hidden. Uh, I like this, like I like my survival horror games, and I do like a challenge. Um, but my my problem was when that monster thing, which was we couldn't get past, it, it never got close enough to me that I could get a good read on what it actually looks like. Oh, but I still it was, no idea. It was quite reminiscent in some ways of the Big Daddy. It, no, it, it was it big. It was the, definitely big. It and had it, the hulking, <clears throat> and kind of mm, yeah. yeah, like there, there was. You knew this thing. We knew it was coming. You know, in the way that you, if I like hear the big daddy's footsteps yeah. clanging along, like we knew it was coming. And but yeah, I, I I couldn't put a shape on it. Yeah, like you know, and that's like that's what keeps it so scary. Because the less you see it, the scary yeah, thing. The fear the of the unknown is is the, the greatest fear of all. Um, but then I, on top of it as well. Um, the safe mode takes out the danger of the monster but it keeps in you know there's puzzles and stuff in it yeah. to get between sections so all that stuff is in it's not like you can just like sprint from one end of the yeah. game to the other and miss everything the only part that's <laughs> taken out are these stealth sections which again for people who don't like stealth or kind of monsters you can't put down um, this is Whopper yeah like yourself like yourself uh, so the patch actually did download on my PS4 the other day so I think I'm going to pick that game back up and start again like uh, and have a real go of it. I think as well, like, and this kind of feeds into how my gaming habits have changed in the last year or so. In that, like, with Soma, like, you know, I never went back. I I, I bought it and I downloaded. It, I never went back and played it. I don't. Yeah, I don't think either of us have played it since we played most of it, but yeah. then got stuck at one stealth section. And it just we couldn't. It and frustrated repeat, both it, of us. It's very frustrating, and it's kind of to me. It's kind of like I welcome this kind of news for as we're saying a particular game like this where you've crafted something so engaging and immersive and when you have to like break out of it and reload eight ten times in a row and you miss out on what they've created here for you so that option is really like to put in context like look at um the new wolfenstein yeah where i've now gotten to the point where i had to drop the difficulty setting twice yeah, and even so now, and I mean, for like, most people, if you go for the middle difficulty, which is what most people will default you're to, fine. you're you're like, well, no, like even that is challenging. Like, Do you know what I, I mean, like, I, I did that on the on the new order, yeah. and I was in the middle, of it, and it was challenging. It took me like a good few attempts to yeah. fi- to finish the final boss, like, but and you know, I died a few times, but you know, it was kind of, you know, 
you you focus in, you shake out your shoulders, and you bring your skills apart. I'm like, I'm not a competitive gamer. I'm not that good at games. Oh. I've played a fair bit, you know. I am, you know, the obviously in the description, you know, medium. You've played a shooter before, yeah, and that's that's all they say, and that's usually all you need. And there's a, a, a kind of a variation on, okay, how good were you at that shooter, or yeah, yeah. did you finish it? You know? it's, I get that on FIFA every year, where it's like, is this your first FIFA game? Do you kind of play them casually, or is I think the phrasing is, is football your life? Yeah, but like, I haven't gone back to the New Colossus, yeah, since um, the bit where we're on the rocket uh, train underneath oh really yeah because that's like right before I spent an hour and a half and now I'm stuck respawning directly in front of three Nazis with so you would want shotguns. to reload to the start of the level to make sure that you're which really don't just get yourself hurts my soul um, um, but yeah so yeah I, I really welcome this in this game. at the same time I wouldn't want that option in Wolfenstein yeah. in the Colossus you, what you want is just like again there's six difficulties or something like yeah. that you just want slightly toned down from where you're at slightly. you want it to be challenging but not overwhelmingly difficult which is why I also like I went up to not the top difficulty that's available from the start but the second from top and I was destroyed I ended up having to go down to medium for most of the game and then there's one section right before the end where I was just like you know, I, I like I genuinely don't care about the difficulty trophy at the end of this, so I'm just going to oh, drop it one one more below middle just to get through. There's one. It takes place on the deck of a ship. Um, if you ever get back to it, you'll know the one because it's just a fucking waking nightmare. Um, so I dropped it one more time just because I was really, really the well, the best part of that game is the the story it's and the, the characterization. Story, yeah. um, like we've all and I just to get to the end, which is incredibly satisfying with the worst end credits music of all time. Wait, worse than Watchmen. With that MCR yep. song, yeah, worse than Great. their cover of Bob Dylan's "Desolation Row," yeah, uh, you wouldn't, you would not believe how bad it is. Uh, Jeff Gersman on the on the giant bomb cast was just like, I was so satisfied and then so mad <laughs> so quickly. <laughs> um, moving on, anyway, Stardew Valley, which is a game very close to myself and Mark's hearts, uh, is getting a multiplayer mode at some point this year, which is cool, and additional single player content as well. But we know very little about both. Uh, Stardew Valley creator eric concerned ape barone has offered another update on the massively popular farming sims long-awaited multiplayer mode according to barone work is now done on the features planned to be released as part of stardew valley's 1.3 update that is the new single player story content and the various elements of the highly anticipated cooperative multiplayer mode that's certainly exciting news for stardew valley fans but barone stresses that there's still plenty to be done before the update is ready for its public debut as of right now all new text for the game is being translated into various languages and languages and bug fixing fixing continues apace. Bug fisting? What? Yeah, bug fisting. Fisting them buttholes, man. Uh, more details regarding the multiplayer mode as well as a more complete feature list of the big 1.3 update will be revealed as the public beta draws closer. There has been an indication that um, it'll be at some point in the spring that there'll be a public beta for 1.3. So that'll be fascinating to see. Uh, Stardew Valley, definitely one of the success stories of the last couple of years. Another case of one guy making a game on his own that was like... Nobody was catering to that Harvest Moon um, sort of hole in the market. Um, and I know, I, I can see the expression on your face and people can hear the sighing coming out of you. And I'm like that too with those games. I never liked Harvest Moon. I have already, the Switch version came out and I already owned the PC version and put a lot of time into that. The Switch version came out and within a month I'd put 60 hours into it. So it's... um. 
yeah there's something about it it's just so nice and it's so pleasant and it's relaxing and days are so quick that you could like say you're on the bus to work your bus journey takes what 25 minutes maybe half an hour in traffic on a good day yeah you could pop it out you could do three or four days in stardew valley and that and get a lot of work done and build towards this and there's all sorts of in a minecrafty sort of way there's not here are the things you have to do it's here's the world here is four thousand things you can do what kind of game do you want it to be do you want it to be um do you want to become a family guy because you can start you can start to kind of court a man or or woman in the town uh fall in love with them get married have kids raise them in a big farmhouse that could be your path your path could be adventuring going to the procedurally generated tunnels uh up in the corners of the map and going through that and fighting some monsters your thing could be simply i want to earn a lot of money upgrade my farm uh make it this massive massive farm um get all my plants get all my money in start making all these fancy wines and jams and stuff like this it is crazy how like even saying these words i'm like that sounds incredibly tedious but it's not (laughs) like it's so again it's kind of you're reacting to me talking about this the way I react to you when you talk about like grinding on the division or something like that. Where I'm just no, like, I, and I appreciate that. How can a breathing human being do that to themselves? Yeah, but I'm... when you're actually, and I understand that when you're inside and doing that, you're incredibly motivated, goal oriented, and stuff like that. And the Not game so is much great. The division anymore. The ga- yeah, <laughs> the game Stardew Valley is great at giving you little achievable goals, so every day feels like you've done something that is working towards. Uh, like your big goal like a drug addiction yeah it's not like sometimes with grind in games you're like it's months and months and months and you're getting nothing it's just grind at the end of every day you feel like you've got something That's important really dangerous done. what i'm never touching this oh game no you definitely i think i said this to you when the game came out as like you shouldn't no. um kind of in the way that like it reminds me of kind of the way pokemon there's a lot of grind in the original pokemon games but you just do it because you love the world yeah. and you love everything about it and it's pleasant to play. Um, but yeah, that's the Stardew Valley beta. Uh, so I don't know how up to date on Nintendo news you would be, Brian, but last year during E3, Nintendo had a direct and in the middle of it, they just flashed up a title card saying that they're making Metroid Prime 4. I recall. That's all they fucking said. I recall. They didn't say who was making it, whether it was uh, Retro Studios or the, the crowd that made the Metroid Prime games originally, uh, I believe. Could be wrong on that. Um, there's like Nintendo Kyoto, Nintendo like in-house in, in Tokyo or anything like that. There's a bunch of different studios that they could have announced. They didn't say anything. It was just a title card saying Metroid Prime 4 in development for Nintendo Switch. Uh, and they did kind of loosely say that they were targeting a 2018 release. Although whispers coming out now have said it's 2019. To the surprise of which, absolutely nobody. Which means it's 2020. <laughs> uh, internet rumors this week pegged Bandai Namco as being the mystery studio behind Metroid Prime 4, something multiple sources have now confirmed to Eurogamer as being accurate. Um, the update on that is that they've heard uh, Namkai, or sorry, Bandai Namco's Japan studio is also working on the project with the intention it will now take the lead on its development while Singapore moves to focus on yet another Switch game. So it's not being handled in-house at Nintendo, it's being handled by Bandai Namco. Um, what I will say about this that's actually fantastic news is that Again, it might not be as obvious to people who don't follow the the ins and outs of Nintendo, but of all the first-party franchises, Metroid is probably the 
most mistreated. The, yeah, it, the one where they don't really give a fuck. Like, they really don't give a fuck. Like, they released this thing they thought it would be um, a cool little game to release Metroid Prime Federation Force on 3DS. I won't get into yeah, it now. I, I remember. Yeah, look that shit up. Yeah, uh, I, I and have, just yeah. the, the slap in the face of put it to fans of Metroid, who, there, who do exist, uh, putting metroid prime like metroid prime means something because that trilogy of games is beloved cult classics um it's very it is very you yeah like you know it, it does and I, I mean like, i've seen samus around and you know portrayed in other forms and medias and that and it mm. does she's cool she's cool yeah you know um that fucking morph ball man <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Damn right. Yeah, it would seem like if you had had a GameCube at the time, that would have been your Halo Metroid Prime. Um, But there's two possibilities here, and I've seen a lot of people talk about this. So there's two possibilities, and one is Nintendo have just gone, just, just shut them up. Give it, give, give it to anybody. Or the second one, which I really hope it is, Bandai Namco just going, we have a good idea. You know, pitching them because Nintendo have been known to like if you pitch them an idea for something and it's really good that they'll go for it. Now they do have a good relationship with Bandai Namco. Uh, I believe Bandai Namco were the ones behind Pokken Tournament. Less said about that, the better. But the one that's very interesting is that the Singapore studio were the ones working on. Do you remember Star Wars thirteen thirteen? Yeah. The the mythical. The mythical that was the one that was supposed to be the Boba Fett game, the wasn't it? The bounty hunting, yeah. yeah. The one that we saw screens here and there of it. It, it is the like the the, the Half Life three of know, Star Wars games. It was, it was the chosen one. It could have brought balance <coughs> to the force. So like, if they have cool ideas still, let like if they're still heartbroken over thirteen thirteen, and they're like, we want to make our bomb ass space game. I'm like, just do it. And you know what? The thing about it is, at this point, after Federation Force, there's literally no way to go but up. Even a middling. Metroid Prime game would be better than Federation Force. Uh, I will have a look for you. I can't be sure because I wasn't. Uh... I feel like I can see in my mind's eye their kind of logo thing. Yeah. But I'm not sure if I'm conflating it with the Hanna Barbera one. Time Crisis. Uh, that was Namco before they joined with Bandai. I, I couldn't remember if it was pre or post merger because I can't remember. I, I don't really pay attention to when mergers take place in Japanese software companies, funnily enough. But, uh, but you yeah. Pay attention to Time Crisis. Oh, I know. I know, friend. Um, yeah, I'm happy for like people just to take a swing at this kind of stuff. Like, I, I like that idea that uh, a platform holder is like, look, we don't want to do anything with it, but if you want to take a swing, fire away. Not you know, if you want to take a swing, like, I like the implication that you know, if hypothetically Bandai Namco came and said, look, we've got a really good idea for this, yeah, and we were, yeah, we're if they came in and knocked their socks off with a pitch, this is what we want to do. Yeah, like we well, you know you don't really do this, but this is look, the guys have been sitting around the coffee room. You know, it was a slow Tuesday, and, we and someone just stood up and went "Breath of the Wild in space," <laughs> <laughs> and everyone just ran. Oh my god! <laughs> you know that. What's yeah. that meme with the people in the office at the board? Oh yeah, he jumps out the window. Floors. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, so I'm happy to see, like, again, we won't be seeing it this year. We might see a trailer at E3. I would probably bet on maybe not an in-engine trailer, but a concept trailer at least. See what they're doing. Uh, apparently, Singapore have already wrapped up their portion of the game. 
but there's a significant amount still to be done uh, and that's why it's moving over to main Bandai Namco uh, studios uh, right now Bandai, Bandai Namco, Namco. I, I, I keep nearly doing that and uh, Bandai Namdai Bamco <laughs> that's the new Honey Talk yeah <laughs> They're the studio developing our honey talk. Yeah, damn right. We have got some uh, numbers to go through here, um, Brian. That that kind of um, illustrates some very good news for Japan in general and uh, Nintendo uh, specifically as well. Uh, games spending grew considerably in January 2018 with Monster Hunter World and Nintendo Switch being the highlights across software and hardware respectively. The NPD group, are you familiar with NPD, Brian? Newark Police Department. <laughs> yes, uh, NPD are basically the the group that kind of puts together stats on how physical sales of software and hardware and video games uh, are going. It's the be- it's the most reliable way we have of judging how well a game is doing because particularly when a game isn't doing very well people who actually make the game aren't shouting from the rooftops how the game has done the the water is kind of muddied a little bit uh in recent years because it's very hard to track digital sales um whereas you can like contact individual retailers and get stats off them for how much things sold physically anyway the MED group has released its report for the retail and some digital sales in January for both software and hardware in the United States. The report notes a significant increase in spending in January compared to the year before. 59% increase on spending year over year, which is very good for the kind of like, one, obviously more people have disposable income because it's not an essential good, a video game, but uh, also the fact that um, the, the industry as a whole is generating more revenue can only be good for the industry itself. Um, bearing in mind bearing in mind this stuff doesn't include like sales of uh, like microtransactions and stuff like that this is people buying the game in the box uh, or just the, the base game um, or the, the hardware should I say this amounted to 1.1 billion dollars in of an increase thanks to spending gains across all sectors this makes January 2018 the highest month in total sales since 2011 so that's pretty that's pretty damn good um on the software end, Monster Hunter World was the clear winner, which also seems... Monster Hunter World seems like... I've tried to get into one of those games, and they're very, very inaccessible to new players, but it also seems like... It seems you. Specifically you. Yeah. It's it's probably great that they're so hard to get into, because you would be gone. It's got so much of what you like, <laughs> that it's probably good that they're... like. Im- imperceptibly difficult to get in because uh, there's so many systems there's so much that it does not tell you that you have to figure out no, no, yeah um, you would be gone because people spend hundreds upon hundreds of hours on these games and there are cool names like Anjanath and things like that in it, it was, yeah no um, back in the day when me and Mark did the division um versus was destiny destiny comparison and it's the accessibility i could slip the reason one of the reasons i love the division so much is because i slipped in so quickly into the game into you know how the various systems worked yeah you know you could you could with your gear your progression your currencies it was all very kind of it was one of those it was one of those games like we talked about on episode 100 when you were on where it's like like the witcher where there's a lot of things going on but no one individual thing is very difficult to understand if you just 
take a minute and read it um, and that's yeah that's what games like the division are like where there's a lot of numbers and a lot of stuff going on there and it's overwhelming to people like me who aren't that kind of player You, you have things like in the division like the, was it the green or the up arrow is like yes this is better than the thing you have so there's very kind of like if you don't want to get into the numbers yeah that but no that's that's what i mean is like even if you don't want to get into the numbers there's really obvious rubrics like to to figure out oh i don't need to get into the numbers i don't need to know if something is like a level this or that i just go oh well there's the arrow that means it's better or worse than what i already have yeah and then even then like i kind of moved on from that like and you know you can look there's a le- there's multiple levels of detail. You know, well, this has better stat bumps and buffs and things like that. You know, once you've kind of slowly gotten around to knowing, uh, to understanding them or wanting to pay attention to them, but you don't need to mm-hmm. necessarily to play and enjoy the game. You know, and I found that with Destiny, I couldn't engage. I couldn't mm-hmm. understand what, what's life. Is is this gear better? Is it yeah. exactly the same? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's going on? You know. Um. So I think I'm safe from Monster Hunter, and yeah. then there's the whole just thing where if enough people tell you, "Oh, you'd really like this thing," you immediately you are book you, against you're it. You're just like, mm-hmm. you know me so well, yeah. Uh uh-uh. uh. Like, uh, no, I'm not ever touching that. Um, Monster Hunter World marked an all-time high for a debut for a Monster Hunter game in the United States, shifting six million units in less than a month, which is very, very impressive, I must say. Yeah, Thanks to the success of Monster Hunter World, Capcom was the leading publisher in terms of dollar sales in January. It's worth noting that the game only came out at the very end of the month and has already shifted 6 million units. Um, unsurprisingly, Monster Hunter World was followed by Dragon Ball Fighters, which uh, they had to actually come out and specify that instead of Fighters, you've seen how it's written. Have you? No. This game? Oh, it's written like it should be Fighter Z because it's a capital Z at the end. But they had to come out and go, no, it's Dragon Ball Fighters. Um, this is an incre- uh, This is a cool little stat for the Dragon Ball game. This is why I bring it up. It is the uh, highest launch for a Dragon Ball game of any description in 16 years uh, since the original Dragon Ball Z Budokai in 2002. Uh, just to remind people that my review of that game is that it's an incredible looking game. It's a really cool fighting game for people who don't know what the fuck they're doing in fighting games like I do. It's really easy to do cool looking stuff in it. Um... But the, the story mode is absolute pants, which is what I really like in fighting games when they try to make a cool original story with the characters they have and move p- pieces around the table. How many people were thrown into volcanoes in that one? Yeah, I, I, just, I just love the, you know, the idea that it's called the King of the Iron Fist Tournament. I was like, mm. was, you know, like 15 year old me was like, this is so badass. In an incredible uh, little bit of stat here, uh, Hardware spending grew by 119% uh, during January of this year, year on year, thanks to the success of the top three consoles. In fact, when it comes to dollar sales, there's only a 3% gap between the top and third bestseller. So they're all selling very well, very close together. There's no they're kind of... all catering to different audiences, I think, now. You see, you have been on the... But different to a different need yeah. within games. This... Uh, within nine months because you haven't been on the podcast you may not be abreast of this uh, this little fact within nine months the Switch had outsold the entire lifetime of the Wii U yeah, no, <laughs> it's it's a blistering seller it's a massive success uh, nevertheless it was a Nintendo Switch that came out on top it, this is also I know it's the newest console on the block but still the fact that it's outselling PS4 and Xbox One is worth noting in the United States as well it's the most Japanese of the consoles by some stretch but at this stage I think 
I don't know, they're still selling pretty well. Oh, such fun. Yeah, I think we're at a stage now where it's, you know, the sales that they're still doing are replacements. Yeah. You know, because remember, you know, your baby brother's going to jam is, you know... And not everybody has the patience I do to deal with technical support. Yeah, they're just getting but, um... We we'll go to the um the even the three DS had a great January, which is the best one since Jan- uh the best month it's had in a year, and the highest unit sales since January twenty thirteen. Uh, but shall I run you down the top ten games of January twenty eighteen? Because there's there's one in here that's just like, of course it's on this list, but it's still incredible. Um, so number ten, Madden eighteen standard sports games always sell well sports Sports games not only sell well but they sell consistently throughout the year they're like just like if you look at the uk charts fifa is never outside the top 10 um the same with like call of duty or battlefield you know they're always consistent sellers uh number nine is mario kart 8 zelda breath of the wild is uh number eight sorry mario kart 8 is number nine zelda breath of the wild is number eight super mario odyssey number seven nba 2k 18 uh is number six it's also worth noting that odyssey Breath of the Wild and Mario Kart 8 are only on one console, whereas a lot of the ones on this are on three. Yeah, Mario Kart 8 and uh, Mario Kart 8 came out early summer. Breath of the Wild came out March last year with the, the console. Um, I'm going to skip over number five for a second. Uh, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, number four. Uh, Call of Duty World War Two number three. Dragon Ball Fighters, number two. And Monster Hunter World, number one. Number five. Number five seller. Grand Theft Auto Five. <laughs> still. Still. Who like you were talking about? Who doesn't own a PS4 that wants one already? It's like who doesn't already own this game? It's crazy. Every single time I see it, and like every time I think Mark sees it, it's just baffling. Um, it's like Bitcoin. Somebody's <laughs> somebody's hoarding all the copies of it for when it increases in value. Um, here's a weird one: uh, a patch downloaded for uh, Doom on Switch that uh, features motion controls. <laughs> I cannot wait to try out the glory kills uh-huh. <laughs> motion control motion control support comes with its own set of options in the game settings menu the update was first noticed by uh, twitter user at names too hard for you which is pretty good it's pretty good um, who was surprised to see the motion controls upon launching the game and taking the patch uh, the feature seems to be well implemented according to multiple reports on reset era and it's something the switch owners have been asking for since its release on the platform gyro feels pretty good especially for a player that's put in several hundred hours between both platoon games gyro control is amazing and the audio issues are fixed so if you can like pivot the camera around fire off like that would actually because of how quick the game is i could see that if you're a motion control sort of person rather than kind of waiting on the slower speed of the stick to spin you around if you could just like flick turn around pop a shot off flick back like if you were used to that kind of control system i imagine that would be pretty cool but it's not something in a million years i would have been like oh yeah they need to do that for doom <laughs> you know what do- you know what step. you know what doom's missing gyroscopic motion controls <laughs> Um, our last story of the week Age of Empires Definitive Edition this is an appropriate one um, it's a Windows 10 exclusive but uh, rumour has it that it could end up on Steam eventually Adam Isgreen creative director for Age of Empires Definitive Edition suggested the recently released game could arrive on Steam at some point in the future um, 
when asked about why he focused development on the Windows platform instead of Steam, uh, according to him, it was partially due to wanting to make the best version of the game at this point. Which makes sense. You you focus on one particular skew of a game to make that the best, and then you worry about ports later. That that's kind of from a kind of resource management point of view. That that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and also, kind of, I'm not going to read through the rest of this whole story because to me, it's common sense. Even though, like people involved in microsoft really want to make the microsoft platform uh robust and full of games if you're a developer you and you're developing a pc game you want to be on steam that's where everybody is that's where the money is people are gonna like if age of empire shows up on definitive edition shows up on the front page of steam you're making bank you know so that makes a lot of sense to me speaking of age of empires it's time to talk about our link to the cast book club um Brian's first one in a long time, and he's taking charge of the game this week. Uh, we're going to talk about a, a game from the past, as we do every week, that you either should play for the first time or should play again if it's been a while. This week being no exception, uh, Brian is going to take us way back in the Wayback Machine, and he's going to talk about Age of Empires. <laughs> Age of Empires is a series of personal computer games, as referred to by the robot who wrote this wiki page, uh, originally developed by Ensemble Studios and published by Microsoft Studios. So the first in the series was the classic eponymous Age of Empires, released, and brace yourself David, in 1997. Ooh. So that's 21 years ago, folks. That's the year I made my Holy Communion. <laughs> I, I can't remember back that far and I don't want to I uh, think you would have made yours in 96 because I'll tell you likely, DIY yeah. you were a year ahead of me so since then 7 titles and 3 spin-offs released they're historically real-time strategy games and they've been they're generally regarded as a commercial success selling over 20 million copies uh, oh doctor critics have credited part of the success of the series to its historical theme and fair play the artificial intelligent players fight uh, with fewer advantages than in many of the series competitors and like even just looking here now at the timeline of releases god damn they did a fair bit of work you know uh, mm-hmm. there was an Age of Empires online yeah I've heard that yeah. and um, then at the end then at the end the hopeful Age of Empires 4 TBA <laughs> <laughs> keep on burning that torch man talk to the first things first so what's established on this show and we talked about it as recently as last week with you is that you weren't a console guy until college so pc was where it was for you um talk to me about the first time age of empires came across your field of view this this kind of well it's the first time you saw it the first time you heard of it it's actually quite serendipitous that we should be discussing this because just the weekend gone by it's dropping serendipitous like a motherfucker yeah (laughs) um i was home and i was cleaning up my uh, childhood room 
Mm-hmm. And of course, I found the stash of my old computer games. Oh, from... glad that sentence ended in computer games. Yeah, I won't talk about the there other There was stashes. another stash that had a lot of discs there in was, it. There was several other stashes with a variety of different <laughs> things that we won't talk about here because you would you, not be happy. You had to pay for our Patreon to get that cast. <laughs> um, but yeah, so amongst them we had, and you know, the, there was a pattern even there. So we had Championship Manager 98, 99 and 99, 2000. Oh yeah. Uh, that's the realest shit oh, the hypest shit um, I had my copies of Close Combat A Bridge Too Far and look if you're ever looking for the perfect niche as all bastardy present for me mm. find me a Close Combat <laughs> it's almost 3. like your birthday is coming up in like three months or something. and I'll have forgotten this conversation by then but you know it'll be a total surprise like, how did you know you know at any point I always remember hearing there was a third one from the Close Combat series. Again, top-down RTS. And never saw a copy of it in my life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, wouldn't hurt. You know, just <laughs> note that for yourself there. Um, but yeah, and of course, Age of Empires. Now, the copy of Age of Empires I had, it's important to note, was, you know, not an actual copy of the game. Uh, not, shall we say, legitimate. No, it was... I think the parlance now is cracked. Cracked. Well... I think I think this predated even that notion yeah. because this was before CD burners came as standard on PCs, yeah. and they could only be got for industrial use. Mm-hmm. So a, a guy in my dad's workplace had one for business purposes, and the entirety of the office was bringing him various things. I think somebody got Encarta copied. Uh, remember Encarta? Yeah, <laughs> remember dem- that? Dem- remember right. that, Dave? Remember that? Remember like, but be- be- when that was like, the- oh my god, how can such a vast amount of knowledge be on one CD. I was like, what are like all the towns with dirty names in the world? Is there a town called Penis? There is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, We've and, all done it. And my dad came home. I didn't ask for this. I didn't know it was a thing. You know, I hadn't really played even any PC games up to that point. We had, you know, Where in the World is Carmen San Diego and the Logical Journey of the Zumbinis. Uh, you know, education stuff. And dad brought this home and it was literally just one of your generic standard blank discs with Age of Empires, Age of Kings on it. Okay. And it was, you know, that was it. That was all she wrote. Because you didn't have to be online to play it. Uh-huh. Your computer didn't have to be... <laughs> didn't have to be sound, could you imagine the... Uh... Bang, yeah. bang, bang. Brian, oh, get man. off the internet. Oh, I need to make a phone call. Um, You know, I... I started off small. You know, I didn't even play the campaigns because I remember back then they were damn tricky and I was not particularly good at games I'm still not but I was really not good at the idea you know I was what this was Age of Kings was, or sorry Rise of Rome uh, I beg your pardon did I say Age of Kings earlier I yes. meant Rise I meant Rise of Rome ah. I do apologise um, this was 1998 that came out so this was would have been 98 99 at a push mm-hmm. so you know I was 11 yeah. So, you know, not the master strategist. No, but you were already someone who, like, you know, cats out of the bag for this, but we're big history nerds. Yeah. Um, and even though you may you, you may not have been developing grand stratagems uh, at that tender age, you still had an interest in the aesthetic. Oh, yeah. I put it like this, Dave. My stratagems in terms of combat and winning battles amounted to get a big clump of the best guys I can make and march them over to hit the other guys until it's over. 
my actual stratagem was okay if i research this and if i send these villagers over here and connect enough resources i can research them this which would improve my guys with this and give me access to research this i was a git for the tech tree god damn resource gathering and the tech tree i was oh that was my jam so i mean i used to go into the map editor and build myself like a map with no other enemies or one other enemy in the in the far corner behind a mountain range and i would just spend the map deforesting spending game deforesting the map fishing the seas dry mining the land until there was nothing left in terms of gold or stone and just building a magnificent little small civilization that was so pretty and at the most advanced level mm-hmm. you know and the, i would spend hours and hours doing that and then eventually i got around i tried a few of the campaigns and got a bit you know into them and that like but ultimately got kind of locked out by the difficulty curve on those because i mean some of them are fucked up hard i think there's the one for scipio africanus where you basically start off with one dude on a horse and you have to cross the entire map Mm. past lots of dudes and it didn't end well david let me just put it like that didn't end well at all (laughs) so i suppose kind of i've talked for a bit here i'll throw it over to you and kind of dave do you ever play RTS, do you ever have a hankering to research? Okay, so, as you know, again, like I said, we're history nerds. Mm. And you would think real-time strategy would be even more up my street than yours, considering the master's degree I went to do was indeed called military history and strategic studies. Stop the lights. So you would think that's perfectly... You would think <coughs> not only that those games are perfectly suited to me, but that it is some sort of... Uh, thing bordering on a miracle that you were not seduced by that masters and did that yourself but um there's something about i I think it was because the heyday of these strategies were back when i was still into kind of simpler games like racing games or platform games or things like that that i just never really got hugely into the one rt the one sorry the one yeah the one rts that i really got into lots when i was young was advance wars on the game boy advance because i could carry that around with me it's a stripped down rts like there is there is a a good degree of strategy to it but it is accessible to like i would have been 12 13 at the time Mm. so it's it's geared towards that kind of age where it's not too complicated there are different kinds of like you know you can get your anti-aircraft you can get your your artillery or your infantry things like that so there are different things you can do um, the other thing that was great about it is that it was couch co-op so if you had uh, the link cable for the advance mm. you could do that or one of the things I loved about Game Boy Advance multiplayer games where they go right player one's turn is over just pass the Game Boy to player two awesome um, but apart from that the real time strategy genre whereas I was a big history buff even because around the time I started hearing about this I would have been about maybe 10 or 11 and um that was around the time i started to develop an interest in history um because i had started to see the world at war was airing week by week again on bbc and i was watching that with my mom um and that was the thing singularly that made me fall in love with history like i didn't want to do it as a career until i met my secondary school history teacher but i certainly developed an interest in it because you know primary school history in ireland is more like folklore than it is actual history how many votes did Daniel O'Connell get in the by-election? Dude, we didn't even get Clare. that. Like, we were like all fucking Red, Red Branch Knights and oh, we didn't get any no, Finn we, McCool. We, just and, got, like, we, got, oh, we got the politics. I mean, like, like, I was one doing... thing you'd want to basically get about history is that history should be about stuff that definitely happened. 
Yeah, well, ours was too far that other way. Og, like. I mean, like, I remember being in primary school and getting the whole, like, you know, and Charles Stuart Parnell, the uncrowned king of Ireland, but then he had an affair with a married woman. They, ta- they taught to a group of kids who weren't yet old enough to know what sex was. <laughs> you know, he had an affair. What's an affair? Yeah. Doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, and she w- and the, the husband was the co-respondent. What's the co-respondent? Doesn't matter. What's a divorce? Yeah. Doesn't matter. So, so like, I, I had developed this interest in history. And I was watching these documentaries. And, you know, one of the characterizing, one of the things that probably when, you know, La- Sir Lawrence Olivier was hopping in the booth and recording the voiceovers, one of the most impressive technical feats at the time will be those sweeping strategy maps showing, like, German advance across arrows. Or the, like, the Russian counteroffensive or, like, stuff for D-Day and stuff like that, showing the arrows actually moving on the graphic and explaining it, breaking it down for the viewer. Because um, also that's one of the things where, like, you know, there's a lot of complex stuff going on and a lot of stuff that needs to be handled sensitively, but at the same time it's a very accessible documentary series. I don't want to turn this into a book club on the world at war, but just to show you where I was at at the time. But in What's the fucking spite, world at war? In spite of that, I think at that age, maybe my attention span wasn't, like, suited to the genre. You know, you're talking about a guy who, like, my very first exposure to video games was Doom, which is not a slow or measured game whatsoever. So I was still on my, like, you know, video games that aren't Bang, about- bang, shoot them up. Well, no, it's it's that at the time for me, video games weren't about like slow, thought out, the long game or stealth or anything like that, which is why I still struggle with stealth in some games to this day. Oh, I'm because my natural inclination is to move, shoot and move, shoot and move, like empty a clip, you know, do it like do it as quick as possible because that's I trained in on Doom and Doom is the kind of like don't think, do, you know, rely on muscle memory um, rather than. Uh, a big kind of strategic uh, thing so like I appreciated uh, I was like oh Age of Empires looks like something I'd be into but also there was a kind of perception of it as like a grown up game from where I was sat like not in a grown up as in like hey look boobs but like grown up as in like this is a kind of thing that doesn't interest you young child Um, then when I got to college you may remember this that there was um there was posters around the place for there was a guy who was in the the it was a Kyle it was Kyle it was wasn't Kyle, it Kyle, yeah. Kyle O'Regan the election poster yeah he ran for election and photoshopped himself at the Age of Empires 2 poster <laughs> with the and, three faces yeah. and that weirdly kicked off like a Resurgence. revival of Age of Empires in our college mm-hmm. um, much of the same way that that one night that we were bored around the house not you and I but me and some of the lads were bored around the house and watched Wrestlemania 17 got loads of them back into wrestling for a while <laughs> Just a confluence of events, but yeah, so it's a kind of thing where I, it, I've i been at arm's length for it, from it my entire life, and it's not a thing where, ugh, I don't want to play that. I think now, if I went to play it, I'd probably really, really like it, but also, I think if I played it now, I wouldn't go outside. I think, like, I have here in my notes kind of, almost a progression kind of, of the kind of three main points of the series for me, which would be... Age of Empires at the beginning and Rise of Rome which I had which you know it is the classic the campaigns were difficult but at my age you're right in saying like it was a grown ups game I wasn't old enough to be good enough to get you know the value yeah, out yeah, of it yeah. so it's like you know buying a kid a PC uh, connected to the internet and he plays MS Paint on it yeah. you know yeah, and, yeah. and solitary you know yeah, that kind yeah, of way like yeah. it, it was that kind Mahjong. of Mahjong but you know man I fucking loved Mahjong like, yeah, yeah. you know on uh, Windows 3.1 or whatever it was on mm. the Wang home computer which was the first <laughs> oh. home computer my family got was a wang <laughs> um, but you know and of course Woolaloo 
Wololo. You've never seen the memes? I don't think so. Okay, you know, there's a game mechanic in it where there is a unit you can build called a priest, uh huh. which you can use to convert enemy units into your units. Okay. Using basically religious conversion. So <coughs> it basically involves your priest walking within range of the enemy unit, and you right click and you and you do his attack, and then he goes waves and goes wololo wololo <laughs> Is this like the Age of Empires meme version of? an arrow in the knee yeah yeah like um, it, it took on a life way outside the oh, context yeah. of and it eventually eventually um <coughs> what you call it you know your the other guy his color scheme turns to your color and he joins your side but you have to be careful because they can't priests can't defend themselves so you can just walk if somebody's converting one of your units you could just walk your guy over and stab him yeah and done but uh yeah like there's there's great memes and jokes and stuff like that but it is it's a you know, it's a classic. Um, you move from there to Age of Empires 2, Age of Kings, which I incorrectly referenced there at the start. The campaigns were in a similar uh, format and style. So you would take on slightly less obscure than in the original game uh, historical figures. So less Scipio Africanus and more Joan of Arc, William Wallace, Genghis Khan... Uh, Friedrich Barbarossa. How many is that? Four, is it? Four? I think you have four. Four. There was a fifth one then I can't remember. Um, anyway. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, they were easier to play. Now, I finished the William Wallace one, which was the tutorial one. I finished the Joan of Arc one. I got halfway through the Friedrich Barbarossa one and started the Genghis Khan one before I hit my difficulty limit on what I could achieve because with those it's always there are limitations on what you can and can't do they limit your resources they put you in an awkward position on the map you can't break out and do what you want and oftentimes you have let's say a fixed number of troops and you can't sit back and turtle and make more Mm -hmm. you have to think creatively with the resources they give you to solve your objective Um, the graphics were better um, everybody looked a bit cooler World Raiders Teutonic Knights um, and Formations mm. so did you play Age of Empires 2 no you... again it's only a game I, I've seen other people play my my uncle Frank <coughs> was a big Age of Empires guy so I saw a lot of Age of Empires 2 over his shoulder in the corner of my, my Granny Ryan's dining room the legit the, day. the honestly I, I still think and I've heard a lot of people say it as well legitimately the best thing about Age of Empires 2 was the formations so you highlight a group of your soldiers here which you know click and drag to create a box and like you're highlighting text on a word document so like the controls are universal to a computer yeah add to any PC activity and you have your bunch of guys and you're going to right click and say go over here go over here and then attack this guy here but as they're moving around you have you can set their stance to say aggressive defensive mm. uh, don't attack at all yeah. Even don't defend yourself for whatever reason you might want that. Leave yourself prone, kind of. Yeah, <laughs> but there is also the formations you can say in ranks. Four, four, two. In square, <laughs> pincer, and your guys will literally split it off and go into two groups, left and right. You know, a, a square, and they'll form a circle. And if you have like a priest, he will automatically go into the center of the square, and your soldiers will go on the outside. And the AI would automatically put your kind of hand-to-hand soldiers on the outside ring if you have a mix and your archers in an inner ring 
and then like your hero character or your priest in the center and all you did was you pushed the button that said square and it was yeah. just and they'd move and they'd like they'd do their little kind of almost it looked like a shuffle because you're zoomed out you're shuffling and they see the four square and you're like ah attack yes <coughs> and you're like I am the master of you know this vast army and I shall conquer all of Europe in the Middle Ages um, <coughs> I do think in a lot of ways that was the high point that was when they perfected a lot of stuff and kind of made it the I think I think the right amount of accessible for everyone while still maintaining the edge of what made it tricky and what made it difficult but kept the best of uh, the original game mm. Then there was Age of Empires 3, which I still have, and I sunk an obscene amount of time. This was kind of the very beginning. I had this on my first laptop in college, because Age of Empires 3 came out... When did that come out? 2005. So that was two years before we started college. So I got my first laptop going to college. I got this game almost immediately. Um, And I put an obscene amount of time into it, and... There were a lot of changes in it, some of which I didn't really agree with or like. Mm. Excuse me. <laughs> there was... This campaign's changed. There was a, a more linear storyline that, yes, yeah, spanned generations and continents, but it was one storyline. Um, the formations were gone. I still miss the formations. Um, it had moved closer in history in each stage and I thought it was a really good thing it had moved closer in history to the present day so we've gone from Rome to the Middle Ages to now kind of an almost how the West was found so discovery of the Caribbean and the Americas um, maps in you know the Western territories the United States New Mexico what would be New Mexico Wyoming and all that like and you know railroad and musketeers and you know explorers and that heading out west you you have a default hero character who is you know you pick from a couple of different templates and he you know he looks like my guy looked like daniel boone you know he 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 had the trapper like in very tiny age of empires detail he had appeared to have the little trapper hat and everything like and you know would head out you could get a dog companion for him yeah and um there's a few new gameplay mechanics you had like almost like a hub your home base of what country you were from so you know in age of Empires you pick your civilization and you have limitations on your tech tree based on that so like i went with the english and my home port was london and you know you'd have your home screen where you could unlock without microtransactions <laughs> purely by exp uh, and grinding uh, cards that you could place kind of almost on a deck for your game that would <coughs> enhance or change your gameplay so you would have let's say in your age of empires you advance through the each ages yeah so you collect up enough you know you collect up 500 food and you move from the beginning age until the, into the second age and you once you get the second age you unlock more options in you say your technology tree so you would have cards that are specific can only be played in certain ages and only if you meet the criteria to play them. So in some cases it's resources. Some for in some cases it's just to get to that um, that age, that level, or in some cases it's EXP. There are a variety of different criteria that require you to meet to unlock them. And then say stuff like I used to always be a gift for the one that would increase the number of towers that you could build because that's capped in game. 
mm. and I'm a git for turtling. I build, you know, walls, towers, and I would have, say, two cards, one in the second age and one in the third age, that I could play and then be able to build more towers, you know, and give you kind of advantages like that, which mm. I found, like, a really interesting, good mechanic to add to it. And it gave a color and depth so you weren't just playing the same game as you had before with musketeers instead of archers you know and as any Age of Empires fan would probably say I sit here and I dream of what might have been with you know Age of Empires World War 1 because that game kind of finished up kind of on the cusp of the industrial revolution I, I just I'm just going to trail off now and you can <laughs> kind of play the Age of Empires music the sad parts mm-hmm. over me now as I look distantly off into the top corner of your room David and think of what might have been. <laughs> Over for any questions. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Sad Hulk music. <laughs> um. So the the prevailing kind of thought, if we're to start rounding up things here, uh, the prevailing thought uh, amongst a lot of people, from what I understand, and this is just looking in from the outside of the community, that Age of Empires Two is the, the zenith. Um, it's, yeah. it's it's definitely the the cult one anyway. Would you go along with that? Why or why not? Yeah, I would say the Age of Empires 2 perfected or at least brought close to perfection the game that was originally released with Age of Empires. It took everything that was that made up that game and it finessed it, added a few tweaks, a few extra features and made it more accessible. So yeah, it it improved on an already excellent template and made it even better. Three was, I think, too much of a departure to... Like, I think it's an excellent game. I really uh, immensely enjoyed it and got disgusting amount of hours of gameplay out of it. And, I mean, if my current laptop had a better... I think it's the graphics card won't do it anymore, even though it's a newer laptop than my last one. Mm. It just it has different spec, yeah. um, and I can't get the game to run on my new laptop. Um, but if I could, I'd absolutely bet into it. But I think the two is the one where it just it was the perfect storm, the confluence of all the factors. It just if I had to say to you now, David, you must go and play an Age of Empires game, I'd probably say two, even though mm. I think three would possibly appeal to you more. Yeah. I think if you were if I was to say to you, David, if you wanna take a turn and review this on another podcast with somebody yeah. else or you wanna sell it to somebody, two is the one you play. Okay. Good times, good times. Appreciate you being on the show, Brian. Uh, it's it's been a pleasure to have you back. Um, one last bit of business to get through before we sign off for episode one hundred and one, and that is to talk about what is going to be the next book club game um, that myself and Mark are going to discuss next week on episode one hundred and two. And I'm going to go back to nineteen ninety five um, to the SNES and the Sega Genesis and talk about a game by Acclaim called Judge Dread. So, uh, yeah, that's episode 102, uh, Judge Dread. We can all look forward to that one. Uh, that's going to do it for episode 101 of Link to the Cast. This podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and most podcasting platforms. Just search for Link to the Cast, subscribe, rate, review. It all helps. Um, the website is linktothecast.eu. If you want to drop us an email, it's linktothecast.gmail.com. Social media, though, the best way to keep in touch with us and to keep abreast of our latest content, facebook.com forward slash linktothecast and at linktothecast on Twitter. Individually, I am at Dave Ryan IV. Mark is at Lithium Project. And Brian, returning to the show, is at Cargin, C-A-R-G-I-N 4107. 
we used to stream stuff over at twitch.tv forward slash link to the cast, but that has been pretty much on hiatus for a long time, so I'm going to plug in this segment here, because I've forgotten to write the bit where I talk about that in my little agenda here, is uh, our sister podcast that we have every so often on the Link to the Cast podcasting network. Uh, once every couple of months or so, we get the, the band back together and we talk about the wacky world of professional wrestling in a podcast that we like to call The Grap Up. There should be an, uh, there was one of those that dropped right after the Royal Rumble uh, with Barry and Jack, and there will be uh, another one dropping in or around WrestleMania time, I would suspect. Uh, the other podcast in our family is The Popcorn Social, hosted by myself and Jack Lazell. Once a month or so, uh, myself and Jack gather around the virtual table and we talk about the latest things uh, on all screens, big and small, so check all that out. And Anyway, for episode 101 of Link to the Cast, I have been your host, Dave Ryan. The man across from me there has been Brian McNamara, and I shall see you again next week.